Welcome to the 2021 March Madness preview episode from the Baseline Time Squad here. This is Chevy, one of three co-hosts on this episode to preview the tournament we were robbed of last year due to COVID-19. Now, as always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Baseline Times. www.baselinetimes.com is the home base, and you can follow me personally at Baseline Chevy. Without further ado, let's introduce my co-host today, two of the best experts in the building today for a full breakdown of what we just learned from Selection Sunday, but also how you can prepare your bracket for winning. Uh, first, he is featured in all of our college content on Baseline Times. He is the expert picker for these college basketball games under our baseline bet. Mr. John Glowatz, what's up, man? How you doing? How you feeling? I'm feeling excited, Chevy, man. I'm I'm so stoked. I cannot wait until Friday for, for the tournament, man. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure you are, man. And also, I want to welcome in, out of Tennessee, one of our other colleagues here, Mr. Cody. Cody, uh, before the season, you previewed a lot of the conferences for us, and we got to see how they worked out here. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. A lot of things... Uh have been a little bit wild with the starting and stopping, but for the most part, man, it's just it's just good to have a basketball season, and it's real good to have us uh, a college basketball tournament. Absolutely, yeah. I'm definitely excited, too, and I remember we were so close about a year ago, and this has been just, uh, for me, I didn't like the whole reminiscing over the last week of sports and, oh, we're canceling sports, but here we are talking about it, so I think that's the extra excitement that's built in here, and uh, we, we want to welcome in all kinds of fans, right? The de- definitely diehard college basketball fans, but also the people who are here just to fill out a bracket to get some knowledge. You know, we'll, we'll help you out a little bit. Give a little bit of a cheat sheet here. Uh, first and foremost, fellas, uh, we have the season that did get completed. Uh, we I watched selection Sunday. Uh, you know, I heard that at least 80%, up to 80, 85% of the games got completed, right? Um, and that's good news. When you have that high of a number of completion of games without COVID really impacting it too much, you could say that there's some sort of, you know, wait to the season still, regardless of, of if teams played on even games, whatever the case may be, or a Duke not even able to even get to finish the uh, conference tourney there. Uh, John, we'll start with you. How, how do you feel about the season success so far? Yeah, I mean, it, so it went, I guess, more swimmingly than I thought. You know, uh, starting from the beginning, you know, a lot of coaches were were coming out our boys slick rick patino and and coach k were both saying hey let's uh they're, they're, they're maybe proposing some wacky solutions maybe go to may madness maybe um i think k was trying to put every single team in the ncaa tournament um so it, it, it's it was it was pretty bumpy because you know the beginning of the tournament was or i'm sorry of the season was pretty much at the the highest surge of, of covid in the united states so uh, i i thought it was pretty insane to to start the season but they did and it generally worked out you know, we had we've had every team just about have a COVID pause. Uh, we've had obviously a lot of guys catch COVID and and thankfully recover. Uh, but generally, it has worked out, uh, and and most teams have played uh, a a relatively complete schedule. Although a lot of the one bit leagues are uh, a bit lacking uh, compared to the um, the the major conferences. Yeah, it's been, you know, a lot different than years prior. And, you know, Glow mentioned it with just the way the season started, a lot of start and stops. And, of course, we've lost a lot of games that were really highly anticipated, especially in the beginning of the year. You think how, you know, maybe things will look different now if we would actually got that Gonzaga-Baylor game happening in December. But there was a lot of games like that that didn't get played, a lot of big-time conference matchups that got moved around and shifted and things like that. But for the most part, I think, you know, when you look around the region that, you know, especially – NCAA, but also when you get into 
Division Two and looking at everything else that's happening with the fluctuations of tournament, tournament games. And I've been to a lot of universities and colleges and called ball games, and it, it's been the most different feeling season and of course the biggest thing I think to take away from it is how a lot of these blue bloods have struggled and it really shows that that sixth man that you know atmosphere for a lot of teams it's a it's a bigger impact than I think we even give it credit for you talk about someone like Duke and not having those fans there not having the Cameron crazies and having the backing like a team like Kentucky of course we can talk about you know whatever we want to talk about in terms of why those teams struggled, but I think just the atmosphere being sucked away from different arenas like Rupp Arena and like places like Duke, we've seen that sort of shift the way the season has played out. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, to get to the part where we've had so many teams play 20-plus games, I think you got to strike this up as a very successful college basketball season. And to be where we are now at the perfect time when you know we're finally starting to see a massive decrease in numbers in the pandemic, look as if it's winding down for the perfect time. I think for the most part, you know, we're real fortunate to be where we are and real excited that we're now to the part where, you know, we even have alternate teams as we move into the tournament. I mean, that's just a great thing. So I think for the most part, we learned a lot this year about, you know, how big of a role these atmospheres that some of these bigger schools play, because without it, we've seen some of these teams struggle in home games that we've never seen before. Absolutely. Yeah, I got to agree with both of you there. And that's a big thing, Cody. You know, we'll get to a little bit of the Blue Bloods here uh, soon. Uh, John had a lot to say about that this season. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like we're in a stage where a little bit of change isn't a bad thing. And especially with sports, you know, we saw at the NBA, there was a bubble, you know, to finish out last season. The NFL still completed a season. Uh, we got a college football, you know, ball game. Uh, the ball games were completed, I should say. And then, uh, you know, championship games still. And, you know, Final Four there in a sense. So things still happen and progress with a little bit of tiny bit of changes. But I think that's cool. Uh, getting a little bit more into this season, too, though, for you you guys. Is there any teams that overachieve to both of you? I, would, I wouldn't say necessarily overachieve, uh, although I'm sure there have. Uh, but, but two prominent ones that I thought uh, have, have come on a little stronger than, than I thought. Maybe they would have been a year away uh, would be Bama and, and Oklahoma State. Uh, in, in the case of the latter, you know, you often see, um, you know, star players, uh, you know, come in for a one and done season and, and outside of uh, of uh, Kentucky and, and Duke, um, you know, the schools aren't really able to uh, build a, a squad around them. Um, but uh, the uh, shoot, Cody, remind me, who, who's the name of the Oklahoma? Is it Cade, Cade Cunningham? Um, Cunningham. Yeah, Cade Cunningham came in and, and they're one of the hottest teams in the country right now, really firing all cinders, cylinders although they did lose to Texas um, in, in the Big 12 championship. So uh, to make a yeah, long story short, I'm going with, with Bama and, and Oklahoma State there. Yeah, really, I, you know, Kid Cunningham, I mean, he's he's the ideal college basketball player right now, and he'll likely, unless there's something crazy happening in the G League, be the top overall pick. So uh, it's been cool to see everything kind of wrapped around him, though. So I would think Oklahoma State's included as well. I think uh, just looking at Cade Cunningham, we knew he'd have a National Player of the Year type year, but it was nice to see all the other pieces fit in with him at Oklahoma State, especially the second half of the season. They weren't great first half of the season. Second half of the season, they really put it together. I go the entire Pac-12. For the last few years, we've really written off Pac-12 as a basketball conference. I mean, they've just really always struggled, especially once you get to February and March, but they've put on some entertaining games. There's a slew of teams. Um, Oregon State, you know, the bid stealing run in the Pac-12 tournament. And I really think when you look at them going into the tournament, the way they shoot the ball, and I mean, it's not standstill threes. It's off the dribble, fading away. They have 
five guys on the floor and then three more off the bench who can all just shoot the lights out. That's huge heading into the NCAA tournament. I love the way they looked in that Pac-12 tournament and the two weeks before we got to the conference tournament. And then although, of course, they all had mishaps and slip-ups in the tournament, I still think Oregon, USC, Colorado are all teams to really watch making runs in this year's tournament. I think over you know the last few years, the Pac-12s always had one team sort of stick around throughout the second weekend, but that's really been it in terms of what the Pac-12 can do in February and March. This year, I, I would not be surprised if they get three teams into the second weekend. I think looking how well they've played, especially the second half of the season, the Pac-12 made a big jump here this year to me. Uh, and I don't want to open up a can of worms here because you know, Cody almost alluded to it with Duke, but just the difference uh, of this season underachieving teams i mean we we could say you know just not having rep arena and the fans in there could have caused this right like you said cody it could have been a million and one reasons we could go you know uh, right and left with but just overall just absolutely flat out disappointing is there is there any maybe one or two teams besides those blue bloods uh, i mean for me it's it's no it's got to be the blue bloods uh kentucky in particular Duke, MSU, uh, UNC to uh, to a lesser extent. I mean, all of those were potential tournament team or are tournament teams aside from from Duke, uh, who was on the bubble before uh, before they had to cancel their uh, ACC tournament appearance. Uh, but yeah, Kentucky uh, was nowhere near even any of that. So to me, it's it's got to be Kentucky. Well, of course, I agree that you know Duke, Kentucky, all had real down years, and Duke really played well the last couple of weeks. And, and, you know, sometimes when you get those star players, they really just cause you a lot of difficulty in functioning the offense. And I think we've seen that with Duke this year. Jalen Johnson is a, a very good player, and he'll be a good player in the NBA once they really finalize what his position is. Is he a point guard? Is he an off guard? Is he going to be a forward? It's, it's hard telling, and Duke never being able to place him in a position to thrive once he was gone and he decided to opt out the rest of the season, Duke played much better. And, you know, Duke could have been one of those teams that got all the way to the ACC final, especially when you look at, you know, Florida State didn't have a great game in the ACC title game. Georgia Tech, of course, played real well. But I think overall, you you know, you would be remiss to not include Duke and Kentucky in that conversation. Michigan State, North Carolina, they're both in that talk too. But, I mean, those teams are in the tournament. So when you look at what they've done, definitely underachieved but just to be you know have the turnaround late in the year I would kind of take them off down the stretch a couple teams that I was at one point in time really starting to think could be final four contenders who just fell off completely um Ohio State for a long time I I thought they might make a run I really thought man if I if you put Ohio State and Gonzaga together in the final four it'd be hard not to pull the trigger on Ohio State but then this last month they've just not looked like the same team their shot selection, especially late games, has been pretty poor. Uh, I think in terms of just kind of going with February underachieving teams to lay off the Blue Bloods a little, uh, just I, I didn't love the way Ohio State finished the season. In Tennessee, uh, of course, I was you know in Middle Tennessee this week covering uh, both the high school state tournaments and the SEC tournament, and losing John Fulkerson was a blow to Tennessee. But late in the year, again, just another team that for some reason in the final five or you know three to five minute of games just would fall apart and. I really thought Tennessee was a team that could make a run. And looking at the bracket, I'm still not going to say Tennessee and Ohio State can't make a run, but just underachieving down the stretch. Those are two teams that, you know, when the calendar turned, I thought, you know, those are two teams to really watch once that tournament starts. And now, you know, I'm thinking they might get to, you know, the second weekend, and that could be it for two teams that I'm sure still have final four expectations. So Duke and Kentucky, the top of the list, as I'm sure for most people, but 
in terms of late in the year, Ohio State and Tennessee, I thought sort of fell off a little bit down the stretch. Talk about Ohio State quickly. Uh, I was like you, Cody. I was ready to write them off uh, after, the, what was it, the four-game losing streak that they had here late in February? Uh, but, I mean, obviously we've seen that now they, you know, they came on strong in the Big Ten tournament, you know, made the championship game and, and just, you know, lost to Illinois. So I'm not sure what to think about them now at this point. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kind of trending a little bit more uh, positive on them, you know, and I'm, I'm actually a little bit uh, more shaky on, on Michigan as a, as a one seed, although I wouldn't, obviously they underachieved. <laughs> uh, but I'm liking Ohio State a little bit more after that, that Big Ten tournament run. Well, I mean, with that being said, though, it, in in a sense, like it sounds like everyone's counting the blue, you know, the blue bloods, right? Whatever. Is there is there a such thing as a snub then? Because it seems like there's a little bit more opportunities for other teams that aren't really in this tournament. How how would you say would you feel about that, John? Is there is are there snubs in a sense? Yeah, I want to say so. Really, that bummer year for the state of Kentucky, uh, I guess as as a whole. Um, Louisville, I think, is is probably the biggest snub. So you know, Kentucky, obviously. Um, not only uh, has to deal with UK just kind of crap in the bed the whole season, but but Louisville uh, had a real chance uh, to, you know, to make a little bit of noise in the tournament. I mean, I think this year is going to be crazy, so anything could happen. Um, but but I thought Louisville should have been in a, at as, as an 11 seed. They got snubbed. Uh, Colorado State as well. Same story there. I thought most brackets uh, in in bracket matrix had them in, or at least. Um, more than than some of the other teams that ended up making it uh so yeah those two would would be my biggest snubs Uh, you know really this year i'm not really big i don't really think there's a lot of snubs because there was a couple bid stealing runs in conference tournament but i mean there's so many teams that have just slipped through the cracks this year when you look at the ncaa tournament there's a lot of teams that are in there that really shouldn't be overall just because of the way the season has turned, though. I mean, really, you want to talk about one team that I I knew they wouldn't get in entering today, but you want to use the word snub. I mean, Belmont is one of those teams. I mean, 26 wins, and I know they're from a low you know conference or whatever, but I mean, you know, these are the teams we talk about each and every year where, you know, oh, mid-majors need more, mid-majors need more. Belmont's a team that had a pause one time, and they missed two games. Other than that, they've played the whole season. They're tied with the most wins in college basketball with Gonzaga. They've played great all year long. They just didn't get the bid from the conference tournament. They lost a game late there. But, I mean, you know, those are the teams, when you look at a team who gets in, you know, like a Florida team that's four games over 500 and just really never played great basketball all year. You know, Michigan State, 15 and 12. Uh, you know, Georgetown obviously got in due to winning the conference tournament. Then you look at the Colorado State. Those teams are still in bids from not teams like Louisville or teams like Syracuse. To me, they're taking bids away from a team like Belmont. So, uh, again, I woke up this morning and knew Belmont wouldn't be in. But to me, that's sort of the definition of a snub because that's a team that you know doesn't have the resources of some of these big other schools, but still only paused one time, only missed a handful of games. I uh, end up tied with the most wins in all of Division One college basketball with the best team in college basketball. Uh, yet they won't be dancing this year. So that's the only team that really stands out to me not getting a bid this year. And uh, just to kind of get into the actual tournament and how it's going to be arranged this season, obviously less travel, no travel basically uh, for most of the teams because they'll enter in into uh, this sort of hybrid bubble in Indiana, right? So we're going to have multiple areas used, uh, McKay, or sorry, McKee Arena, uh, Bankers Life Fieldhouse, and Lucas Oil Stadium. And uh, it, lo- it looks like here we're, we're getting a longer stretch of games over the weekend. So we go from Thursday, March 18 with the first four, 
We get the first round Friday, the 19th of March, 20th of March is a Saturday, Sunday, and a Monday. Uh, we also are getting second round games Sunday, Monday uh, next week. And then the Sweet 16 is actually picking up on a Saturday, March 27th. And then the Elite Eight starts on Monday, March 29th. And the Final Four, Saturday, April 3rd. Uh, gentlemen, beyond this, um, you know, no travel uh, situation here. It, it's a little different, right? There's not traditional regions, although they'll probably name them. Uh, there's something called the S curve. Uh, I guess like, we can start with you, John. If you want to elaborate, you know, Cody, you want to add anything in? Just dumb it down for the people who are Fairweather March Madness fans. That obviously we're just here to win some money up, filling out a bracket. <laughs> and what what do we miss about this tournament and the differences versus a traditional tournament? Yeah. So the first thing going back to the travel is that I, that I think is important for a lot of people to understand is that the Big Ten tournament took place in Indianapolis. So. All of the Big Ten teams that that made the field, uh, and there are a lot of them, I, although I, I didn't count something like ten of them or, or something like that, uh, will not have to travel uh, to, you know, uh, this week, uh, and and will not have to go through, uh, I guess, more strenuous and additional um, protocol and and testing and whatnot uh, to get into Indianapolis and and, and whatnot. So basically. I think that is going to be a pretty massive advantage for the Big Ten, and thus I'm going to be picking a lot of Big Ten teams in the first weekend. As I, as I was looking this up, I think it's something like a 30% increase in, in odds of victory uh, if you don't have to travel uh, more than 150 miles. So obviously all of those teams will not. They'll have to travel you know, maybe 10 miles. So I think the first thing, Big Ten uh, is, 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 going to, is going to dominate the, the opening. Um, and I don't want to, and I don't want to dominate too much of the conversation. So I'll let you hop in here, Cody, and, and I'll I'll jump back in. Yeah, well, I mean, the S curves gonna be it's, it's of course being highlighted a lot more this year, but it's something that's always been used. It's always been a part of Selection Sunday. It's just they don't always have to use it, and they actually kind of move around because of the region. So you mentioned the travel, and of course, every year they use a little bit of you know, sort of where teams should be playing at. And you go back and you look at, like, Michigan State a couple of years ago, as good as they were, and they moved them around because they didn't want them to have to travel 700-plus miles, uh, to, you know, to be from East Lansing to Kansas City and, and then moving around. So they've always used the S-curve. And it just it creates a little bit of a – and I've said it before, you know, when you look at the way they're using the S-curve this year in terms of ranking teams – you know, all the way through one through 68 and you can get on social media and you can find the actual one through 68 rankings. You know, of course, we're all looking at brackets because it's bracket season. But to me, the first thing I wanted to see is when the brackets were released to go and find the one through 68 rankings, because that will help you sort of clear things out and looking at how each team was ranked. I mean, it's just the equivalent of having a, a true top 25 ranking and using that top 25 ranking. It's just now instead of a top 68 ranking. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think in the future, and I, I really do think this, I think they'll use the S-curve a bit more because I think they'll like the way some of these matchups look this year compared to just using sort of where teams are located in the future. And, of course, I know next year, as long as the pandemics wind down, the NCAA will be excited to go to four different true regions, like always, and as they should. It just creates a better atmosphere for the tournament. You know, I mean, you know, I, I really think Gonzaga is in a good shape to make a run this year, but it kind of stinks they won't get a chance to even play a few games over on the West Coast. But nonetheless, 
I think it's something in the future they'll still use regardless of region because it does create the best set of matchups. And this year, I believe we'll see that. But yeah, just to make, I mean, just to really make it as simple as possible, it's just bracketing off a ranking system instead of using the regions. So then uh, speaking of Gonzaga here, Cody, and we'll talk about this later. I think the other thing that's important for folks to understand with this, with this COVID uh, protocol is there are teams in the field that have tested positive for COVID within the last few days. Uh, and, and I'm specifically speaking of uh, Kansas uh, and Virginia, who are both in uh, Gonzaga's side of the bracket. So there's a good chance that either, one, these teams are going to have multiple players out. Two, these teams are going to not be able to practice together fully because of COVID protocol. Or three, they get replaced altogether and, and somebody from one of the alternate teams gets bumped in. And this could happen to you know other teams as well. But we do know of two you know highly ranked teams who could very well be out of the tournament or severely hindered. And um, you know it's it's kind of all being brushed under the rug. I feel like. Yeah, and we just don't know a lot about how the replacement teams will be used. And you know teams like Louisville and Colorado State, St. Louis, Ole Miss, and uh, even potentially if you go down the line, potentially if they want to be a team like Duke could all be right there, and we, we still don't know if, if games could be moved or if they'll have to be played the day of the originally scheduled game. There's still a lot of unknown when it comes to what happens if a high-prominent team tests positive for COVID. But I, I think, you know, just from my position and being around, you know, how – and you don't want to compare the NCAA to high school basketball, but once you sort of get into the big part of the season, you start hearing the COVID stuff a little bit less. So, you know, like with college football, we didn't hear a lot about COVID once you started talking about the, the big-time bowl games and the national championship. So I think once we get past the first weekend, you'll hear a little bit less about teams testing positive just, you know, because teams will start, in a way, brushing it under the rug and just have, well, this guy's got an ankle injury, so he won't be active and things like that. I think we've seen that in other sports, and I, I would be surprised if we don't see it in the NCAA tournament as well, especially when you mention teams like Kansas and Virginia, who aren't top five ranked teams, of course, but are both in that top overall 16 in the S-curve, so teams that the committee feels are, you know, some of the top teams in the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, and I do think whoever, you know, once we get into the first weekend, I, I think that the integrity of the bubble will be kept. So I don't think we're going to have to worry about that afterwards, you know, or, or yeah. once we get past the, you know, whatever the, the typical you know, five, six day period uh, of, uh, of of these tests turning up positive. So I, I think the, se- you know, the second and, and follow up weekends will be safe. Uh, but uh, up and until then, I think. It, things could happen. I mean, we've seen other, uh, you know, talking about college football, we saw Ohio State had, you know, had to sit some some players in uh, in the national championship game. Talking about uh, TBT tournament, you know, the, the very first uh, sporting event that was held post COVID, where teams had to be alternated in and out. Uh, you know, certainly it's the the seating isn't quite like the NCAA tournament, but uh, I think we could see some of that, and uh, and and then the chips are just going to have to uh, fall where they may. Absolutely. John, just talk a little bit about uh, some bracket advice here. You know, you have a really well put together article that explains rest versus momentum and which one benefits teams. Uh, should people be looking at some of these conference tournaments and, and keeping their eye on the, the winners of them? Yeah, I, I think you know, definitely they should. Uh, so I guess, the, 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 yeah, so you're alluding to an article I wrote, Chevy, recently uh, on, on BaselineTimes.com. We'll just plug that, you know. Um, but uh, 
the 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 premise of of the article is you know I I I remember years past that you know always hear about oh this is the hottest team you know they won their their conference tournament they're definitely gonna you know reach the final four uh, and then that team falls flat you know or you, you hear about the reverse of that oh this team was hot all year was great all year and then you know they lost in the semifinal of their conference tournament and uh, nobody's picking them. But, and then you hear some of these these talking heads. Well, hey, actually losing early in the conference tournament means you get an extra day or maybe two days of rest. So is that better overall? Uh, and so I did some analysis. I looked at every um, uh, which call it every Final Four participant uh, since 2002 and and their conference tournament. Uh, uh, I don't know why I can't think right now, but how they did in in their conference tournament because 2002 was the was the first year in which we had every power conference have a conference tournament uh, and i found basically that uh momentum is better winning in your conference tournament is is better 61% of the final four participants either won their conference tournament or uh were the runners up so they were playing on the final day uh, the other 39% were somewhere else in the field but generally winning is better there but there's no reason to necessarily write off a team that was was great all year, uh, say like a Baylor uh, this year. They uh, they the the examples of of there's been seven teams who have won the national championship while losing early uh, in their in their conference tournament, uh, and all seven of these teams were um, highly ranked, were, were number one seeds, uh, were quite often, uh, in fact, uh, I'm sorry, actually. They were all number one seeds except for Syracuse in, I think, Carmelo's year, which was a three seed. So they were all highly ranked, all ranked uh, top 10 in the in the country in the AP poll as well, uh, and and all ended up winning the national championship without um, the benefit of, of having that momentum uh, in the conference tournament. So the way I'm looking at it is a team like a, a Baylor or somebody like that who didn't didn't quite make the conference uh Championship still still has a still has a horse in the race, and uh, otherwise, I do like a, a other teams that that have been hot uh, and and have done quite well in their conference tournaments, like maybe a Georgetown could be a, a a dark horse team this year. Yeah, of course, definitely want to plug you there at www.baselinetimes.com because there will be a March Madness hub page uh, that John will show his masterpiece of articles here. Uh, there's Idols of March Madness. Article. I, I like that one, man. Some of the past players that have completely taken over the tournament. Uh, you'll you'll see the graphics: Steph Curry, uh, Kemba Walker with his UConn run, uh, and then another great piece from you, the definitive college basketball blue blood guide. Which, if you Duke and Kentucky fans out there just need to reminisce a little bit, it's a great article. Uh, coming up here, guys. It is the first and second round at the uh, end of the week here. Coming up uh, Thursday is the first four. Uh, but first, let's talk about the number one seeds here to segue into the actual tournament itself. So uh, Baylor, of course, number one seed. Uh, Michigan, number one seed. Gonzaga, number one seed. Illinois, number one seed. How do you guys feel about this? Uh, number one seeds, undisputedly. Any any beef with that? Cody, we'll start with you. Nope, that's your four top teams. Uh, I think Gonzaga being the number one overall seed wasn't a mystery. 26-0, we sort of knew what was happening there. Baylor's played uh, played great all year, and of course just a couple stumbles here at the end. But at the end of the day, just I think in terms of one and two, we, we've known where that would be throughout the year. Illinois played great here late, and then to pick up that big win in overtime, I believe – you know, both teams knew they were playing for a number one seed in that Big Ten championship game. I think Illinois definitely jumps in. 
and uh, takes that three seed good there. And, and then when you look at, at Michigan, Michigan's played great all season long. They've had you know some moments where you've kind of fallen off a little bit. And Glow mentioned it earlier where there's that little bit of feeling now where maybe you don't still have that confidence in. Or maybe we did a few weeks ago. Uh, but again, it, it's better to lose, you know, in late February and early March than it is to lose in mid-March. So I think maybe getting those stumbles out of the way, especially when they took, you know, three and a half, what, almost a full month off uh, of basketball action and then getting back almost feels like you're just sort of starting over again, your legs under you again. Uh, they're also dealing with just a few injury issues as well. But I think at the end of the day, when you look at what all they've done this season, when you and you look at right who's behind them, you talk Alabama, you talk Ohio State, and you talk, then you start getting into some places where there's some mystery rankings. I do think, without question, Michigan is by far the most deserving team of that final number one seed. Yeah, I, I, I have no argument at all. Like I was saying earlier, I do think Michigan has kind of dropped off. They've, they've lost three of their last five. They're, they're uh, missing one of their um, star guards and captains in Isaiah Livers. So, I'm not super keen on them, but I do think that they have the resume to certainly be a one seed this year. So, uh, yeah, I, I would have no argument with any of the one seeds. Okay, hands down. Yeah, I got to agree with that, too. Uh, you guys know I have to ask this here. And, you know, looking at the first round of play, any teams that we can expect to have that Cinderella run start to crank and get the ball rolling, uh, John? Any, any teams and you like the pass? So I'm, I guess I'm, I'm not quite well versed enough in the bracket yet to to really go deep on this. You know, as the bracket just came out recently, uh, but I do like um, a little bit of Rutgers's path. I think uh, they could be a sneaky team here. I, I, I didn't have them pegged in as like a potential Cinderella ahead of the the actual, um, the uh, the actual unveiling of of the bracket here, but. I mean, there's a, a situation in which Clemson is is kind of a dumpster fire. Uh, they can easily get past them. Uh, Houston uh, is, is kind of hit or miss. You know, if the team that shows up that that lost to East Carolina uh, or shows up against Rutgers, they can win that game. West Virginia has been trending down, so I kind of like their path a little bit. Uh, I do, as, as kind of a, a homer pick here, I do like UConn a little bit as well. Although, I, although I think Alabama um, is is one of the kind of the uh, teams on the come up, as I mentioned earlier. So if they get past Alabama, I kind of like their path uh, as well. And then, of course, there's Georgetown, who uh, who I mentioned before. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? They, they got super hot. I mean, that, that's kind of the, uh, you know, to go back to UConn, the uh, the Kemba run of uh, it's almost the the five wins in five days. So uh, so Georgetown could be, uh, could be a nice 12-5 upset pick over Colorado. And then uh, – you know, yeah, they're going to run into uh, run into Florida State or uh, you know or UNC Greensboro ends up winning that, uh, but yeah, Georgetown could be a team that does it. So if you're just looking at straight Cinderella runs, you know it's it's almost hard to call a team that's got one loss all year a Cinderella. But Winthrop's played so great and they've won so many games where they've looked really outstanding and they've played clean basketball. Uh, they're entering the tournament with a 23 and one record, so it's hard to say Cinderella. But then they get hit. Of course, with a 12 seed, and they get matched with Villanova, another team that's trending down just a little bit here late in the year. Uh, if Winthrop can end up winning that first round matchup, you know they would advance to play either Purdue or North Texas, and Purdue, a team that's been underrated all year, but I still just don't think they're a great basketball team. So when you look at Purdue and North Texas, I think Winthrop could have a big chance in that ball game as well. 
Uh, and then that's when things started getting murky because that's when they could advance to play a Baylor team. And I'm not going to say they're going to make a run past Baylor, but just kind of a team to keep an eye on. And then one other team to really watch because they just look so outstanding and then were just super underseeded. As good as they've played this last uh, month and a half too much, Josh Pastor and Georgia Tech win the ACC tournament. And again, I, I know there's a lot of things that happen in the ACC tournament, but again, as good as they looked, to get hit with a nine seed was, was shocking to me. It's one thing if you make a, a tournament run like a Georgetown, and I agree with Glow. I think Georgetown is hot at the right time. They're playing with, with heavy hearts. They got a lot going for them, but they're 13 and 12, you know. So, I mean, getting that 13 seed is understandable. Georgia Tech wins the conference tournament at 17 and 8 and get hit with the 9 seed. So, that really surprised me. I almost had them pegged as at least a 5 seed. And even, even with a little ACC bias, would not have been a surprise if they snuck all the way up to a 4 seed. But to see them get hit with a 9 seed really surprised me. They played that really talented Loyola Chicago team in that first round, which to me is a real scary game. But if Georgia Tech wins that game, I can 100% see Georgia Tech upsetting the number one seed, Illinois, in the second round. So that's just a couple teams to really watch through the, the first uh, two ball games in this first weekend. Uh, Georgia Tech, I think, you know, I don't know if you call the ACC champion a Cinderella, but, you know, when you get hit with a nine seed, I think that just adds more, that it makes the chip on their shoulder a little bit bigger. And I really like them to get past Loyola and then possibly pull off uh, the upset against the one, the first number one team I could see going down in the tournament, and that would be Illinois. Although I do also think Michigan will have a very tough game uh, in, in round two. And, and you know, St. Bonaventure has played great basketball. Uh, LSU is long and just so super talented and really should have, you know, at least went to overtime with Alabama. They had that great opportunity to win it at the very end of that ball game. I think whoever comes out on top of that game, I, I think Illinois and Michigan both are going to have their hands full in the second round of the tournament. And I would not be one bit surprised to see both of those number one seeds fall before we even get to the Sweet 16. Uh, last year, you, both of you guys actually was on the uh, NBA Draft podcast and got an opportunity to talk about some guys that should we should have seen last tournament, like a James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards. Well, not not Wiseman, but Edwards, uh, Patrick Williams, Isaac Okoro, uh, Tyrese Halliburton. You know, those are some of the guys that uh, we, we just didn't get to see last year. What about this year? For those, any kind of names that we know the Cade Cunningham, right? He's all over major media. Well, we'll start with you because you just you're fresh off the um, March Madness or the Idols of of March uh, article here. Who should we keep our eyes on? Maybe just give me like maybe three or four top five if you got that. So the first one I want to plug is is James Booknight at a, at a UConn. You know, I think he has potential to be a lottery pick. He missed time this year and he's actually kind of been hit with the injury bug all year. Uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't think that NBA teams would be dissuaded because. Uh, he, he did. He did play um, a, 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 essentially a full season last year, so it's not like he's constantly injured. Uh, but he's he's just a, an athlete. He's smooth. He can glide. Um, you know, so so I would say he's he's one guy that's yeah that's not on the on the Cade Cunningham level or what have you. Um, and then I guess for the the rest of of the four uh, additional four, I'm just going to say kind of the entire Gonzaga starting five. Uh, I mean, you got so many guys that just, just watch the team. I mean, um, you know, between uh, Kispert and uh, Jalen Suggs and, and Tim A, um, you, you know, and, and, and the rest of the squad, I, I mean, th these guys aren't probably all, aside from Suggs, you know, aren't going to be necessarily lottery picks, but they are going to be probably drafted in, in the first round. Uh, so, 
you know, that's, you know, just watch the Gonzaga games and, and you'll see definite, definite NBA players for sure. Uh, I'll start in Arkansas and Moses Moody and Moses Moody was so impressive in, in the SEC tournament. And, you know, Arkansas is one of those teams that's had some moments this year where they've looked outstanding at some times this year where you've been kind of like on the fence about them. I, I think at the end, Moses Moody, though, Arkansas getting that three seed, Moses Moody going to have a chance to really you know, turn some heads. He already has really. I think when you uh, came into January, he was projected probably as a uh, around 20th pick, 21st pick. Uh, he's starting to rise up draft boards right now, projected in the latest mock draft to go in the top 10. I still think he can move around a little bit more. He's just so talented, a true shooting guard, you know, 6'6", 200 pounds. He's got all the intangibles, can shoot, can get inside. He had 20 points in the first half in the uh, ACC semifinal. He's a talented guy. And again, in a day and age where we look at so many guys playing so many different positions and almost now that's an issue. If you don't have a true position, that's starting to be an issue. Again, I go back to Jalen Johnson at Duke. You know, we just don't know what your position is. Moses Moody is a true shooting guard. I think he's in a great position to make a run in the tournament. Uh, Pat Williams of Florida State, he did so good last year. I think now we're talking about the next guy, and that's Scotty Barnes, another one of those guys, a freshman who's six foot nine. He's long. He can do so many things. That's another guy to really watch, just like Pat Williams, who I could see jumping up into the top three picks of the draft. You know, Jalen Suggs is there. Kate Cunningham, I think, has got number one on lock, and we got to watch those guys in the G League. But Again, if a lot of teams draft on potential, we've seen that with Patrick Williams. We're just looking at the next guy, and that's Scotty Barnes at Florida State. That duo from Texas is someone to watch. Texas winning that Big 12 title. I think that was the first time they've ever won uh, the Big 12 tournament. Uh, they got just an outstanding group of you know two guys who will probably be top 20 picks. Uh, Kai Jones is a 6'11 center. He's got great size on him. I think a lot of people kind of brushed him off thinking this was the Greg Brown year. I think now we're looking at Kai Jones as being the best prospect from Texas. And then also from Texas, of course, we talk about Greg Brown, just a super athlete. Uh, there's been times this year he's maybe, you know, he's explosive. We know that, but there's still some intangibles missing. But I think he's still a guy who, you know, with a great run in the NCAA tournament can really turn some heads. And uh, then, you know, just sort of <laughs> cheating here a little bit. I'll go to Evan Mobley. We talk so much about Cade Cunningham. And, I, again, I, I cannot see him not being the top overall pick. I think that would just be a, a waste if you don't pick him at number one overall. But Evan Mobley is going to make it hard to not pick him. He's Built so well, seven foot, two fifteen. He's got good size. He's gaining muscle every time. You know, you if you if watch him one game and then don't watch him for a couple weeks, he's clearly getting stronger. He's getting better, and I don't don't know necessarily he's actually getting heavier, but he's just playing stronger. I love his game. I really think Cade Cunningham is the top overall prospect, but I don't think you go wrong with Evan Mobley. It's almost like last year, Lamelo Ball and James Wiseman, really one A and one B. I don't think there's a wrong pick there. But I think with Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley, you're almost in that same position where, you know, if you need a true point guard who can make things happen, you got Cunningham. If you need a big, though, there's no problem with taking a guy like Evan Mobley. He's got a chance to really jump into that limelight and say, you know, look at me, man. I'm, I'm the next big star coming into the NBA. I think what he can do at USC in the tournament, and again, the Pac-12's played so well here late in the year. USC's got a chance to really turn some eyebrows, especially in that first round where they'll play either Wichita State or Drake. And then the winner of that game will likely play Kansas. And again, we just don't know what's happening with Kansas. There's a good chance for USC to make it to that second weekend. And that would be huge for Evan Mobley and just all eyes being on him heading into the NBA draft.
Absolutely. And just to tease here a little bit, because we will be doing a bracket challenge ourselves here. Uh, it's early. Selection Sunday is fresh in the books. Cody, John, is there any Final Four you're willing to share right now? Or is it just, just too much right now? You, you're just too excited. Marsh Madness is back. John, any Final Four? Man, I haven't even I haven't even filled in a bracket yet, so I'm I'm not <laughs> I'm not there yet. Uh, I I would say I'm I'm penciling Gonzaga in for the Final Four, though I can, I can give you that much. Okay, okay. How about you, Cody? How you feeling? All right, well, I've done one bracket, and that was just me sort of going through with a pencil and just sort of seeing what I like so far and, and the way it looks. I definitely have Gonzaga coming out of the West. I, I really don't know if they'll even be challenged until they get to the Elite Eight and possibly could play uh, a team such as maybe uh, an Iowa, uh, just with Iowa's size, but I still think Gonzaga really has a clean run through that tournament. I mean, their toughest matchup, again, it's just not until the Elite Eight. If you go down to the East, that's when you start running into things. I really do don't, I just don't see Michigan making a very deep run here based on how they've played lately. A team like Florida State, a team like Texas, and a team like Alabama all intrigue me so much. I end up putting Texas in the Final Four out of the East. And that's a, a little bit of a wild pick because they don't have a great record, but their you know, Glow's article really wrote it out. I think Texas has got some momentum. They have some big-time prospects. I think this is their year with Shaka Smart to make that run. So I have Gonzaga in the West, Texas in the East. And then when you jump over to the South, there are some things that really catch my attention. Again, I love Moses Moody in Arkansas. I think they make a run into the Elite Eight. But I do have Baylor going into the Final Four there. And then the West, same thing. I'm intrigued by the West. And this one may surprise a few people. In that Final Four, I do have Oklahoma State. I think Cade Cunningham and that team just have played so well. They get to the Final. I think they end up pulling out of the West, or out of the Midwest. I think there's some great matchups there. I like Georgia Tech. Uh, I like Oklahoma State. If Tennessee is able to pull things together, I still think they have potential to make a bit of a run. And I'm not sleeping on a team like Houston. They're hit and miss. If they play right, they definitely are the favorite in the Midwest. Uh, I like Illinois. They deserve the number one seed. Don't get me wrong. That's just a tough region. There's a lot of teams that are just so hot right now in that region. So I have Oklahoma State, Baylor, Texas, and Gonzaga. A little Big 12 flavor with Gonzaga in there. And I really think Gonzaga does it. I think they make the clean sweep. They don't lose a game this year, and they end up winning the national championship. That's what I have right now. That's 100% going to change in the next hour when I do my <laughs> second bracket. But that's what I have right now. I'm sure. I'm sure. Hey, one thing I want to I say to the people uh, is if you fill out your bracket early, make sure you go back and check it on Friday morning. Uh, because as we were saying before, there could be a lot of changes coming with uh, with COVID protocol and and things like that, and teams maybe getting slotted out and, and other teams put back in. Uh, so if you fill it out early, make sure you go back and check and see see who's still in the field. Absolutely. So first four is at 4 p.m. Eastern start time on Thursday coming up here. The first round gets kicked off on Friday, 12 p.m. Eastern time start on March 19th. And then all weekend we've got college basketball games. Uh, March Madness is back. It's, it's great to be able to sit down and have this conversation this year again. It was missed. John, we started the show before. It said two years since we'll be able to talk about anything yeah, tournament-wise. Two <laughs> years. Too, so. too long. We, we definitely are excited. Uh, gentlemen, uh, John, go ahead and plug yourself. Where can the people find you at? 
Yeah, so uh, of course, find me on uh, on Baseline Times. I've been doing a lot of writing. Uh, we've got we've got a lot of uh, March Madness stuff. We've got a that uh, that March Madness uh, hub page, as uh, as Chevy alluded to. Um, you can also find me um, on as the uh, the Big Northeast Podcast. Uh, search that in Google um, or uh, find me on Twitter um, at Pod Northeast. Yeah, all over social media, just Cody underscore Gwen. I need to get back to my writing as well, but I'm still I'm still in the middle of high school basketball season, but luckily that's about to come to an end, and it's about time to start looking at draft stuff again. The NFL draft coming up, and you know, big news today about Drew Brees. We'll see how that affects the NFL draft, but we'll start NFL draft coverage, then right into NBA draft coverage. It's almost that time, and we'll learn a lot from this NCAA tournament. So excited there on Baseline Times. But Cody underscore Gwen, all the socials, you'll find me. Absolutely. And as always, at Baseline Times on the Instagram and Twitter, you can find all of our March Madness coverage and more of John and Cody's work and predictions as well. Uh, You guys, in my opinion, full bias. Goggles on. Some of the best analysis we've ever had and I've ever seen for the March Madness. And I, I truly mean that. So... Mr. John Glowitz is Mr. I call you Mr. Seventy Percent Man because that's just how accurate you are. Seventy percent of the time it works. Every time seventy <laughs> percent is the highest I've seen somebody get something so right. Yeah, that's maybe if you're a betting person, win a little bit of money up with John's predictions there. But uh, gentlemen, this has been great. We, we'll check in here after the first second round uh, next week sometime. Keep this going for the next couple of weeks until we get to that final four and those final two teams. Uh, once again, find us at baselinetimes.com. <laughs>